Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Seth Kaplan is sponsored in part by Boyd Group International's 25th Annual International Aviation Forecast Summit this August in Cincinnati. The only aviation forecast event. Register to attend at a reduced rate with a special promo code available only at airlinesconfidential.com. Sponsorship info for the Airlines Confidential podcast is also available at airlinesconfidential.com. This podcast is produced by Mass Media. Info at massmedia.net. Making customers pay a la carte for bags and other extras didn't start when he went to work in the airline business. I'm told when he was a boy, he had a paper route and charged his customers an extra 10 cents for the funnies and the crossword puzzles. He's Ben Baldanza, the former CEO of Spirit Airlines, who now teaches about how airlines work. Is that true, Ben? Yeah, well, that's other than the 10 cents, that's true. (laughs) I really had a paper route, yeah. Well, he doesn't own a car. I've never seen him on a bike. So other than the DC Metro, the only transport Seth he must use is an airplane. He's Seth Kaplan, NPR's here and now transportation analyst. Pushing back from the gate, this is Airlines Confidential, the show where we share the secrets of the airline industry and debate all the crazy things that happen in the airline world each week. We're going to try not to talk too much about the most important thing in the world. That's coronavirus, of course. We'll talk about one passenger who behaved incredibly badly on a flight. Then it's fine or wine. But first, let's prepare for takeoff with this week's news. Ben, how can we not talk about coronavirus, the epidemic itself, the financial damage to airlines and everybody else, uh, what increasingly looks likely to be an impact on airline employment, all our friends and relatives who work at airlines, uh, falling fuel prices, falling airfares, all of it. How can we not talk about all of that? Well, actually, as the weeks go on here, we're going to do our best to talk about other things. And that's not because there's anything more important right now to airlines and travelers. There's not. But because you know all about it. And our goal here is to give you something you can't get everywhere else and really to talk about things that will have enduring value. Give us all things to think about that will continue to matter long after the coronavirus threat passes. Let's hope that's sooner rather than later. That said, uh, on the week of a Monday stock market sell-off like nothing we've seen since September 15, 2008. Yes, I knew that date without looking it up, just like I'll probably always remember March 9, 2020. Uh, let's hit a couple topics in ways you maybe haven't heard discussed elsewhere. First of all, Ben, stocks weren't the only thing that sold off. Oil futures did too. This is now a race to the bottom between airfares and jet fuel prices. Well, that's right, Seth. You know, the CEO of Southwest, Gary Kelly, has compared this event to 9-11 from a demand standpoint. He's certainly not talking about the you know global political impacts of it, but he's you know saying that from a precipitous drop in air travel demand, it feels more like that than anything else. And I yeah. understand why he's saying that based on what all these airlines are reporting. And I have to say, Seth, I think a lot of this is overblown a bit as we talked about on a previous episode, you know, you're no you're no more at risk on an airplane and in some ways a little less at risk because of the fact that the air is circulated regularly with outside air versus maybe being in a restaurant or something where the air is not moving that way and somebody coughs from across the restaurant and maybe you get something. Whereas on the plane, it's you know it's gonna be a little bit different. Not to say that there aren't risks, but to see the enormous drop. I, for example, was scheduled to be at a meeting at the end of April that has already been canceled. And now that's, you know, six or more weeks from now. Yeah. 
And yet the people organizing it just didn't want to be responsible for putting 50 people in one big room. And you could sort of see, given what the media is saying, why that might be the case. Um, but I sure hope that uh, that this reverses itself quickly for the industry and for the economy and for all the people who work in the airline industry. And I hope to see a lot of people on airplanes again real soon driving that economic activity that the airlines do. Yeah, it's it's interesting because the thing about 9-11 was that, and maybe this is just kind of easy to say in retrospect, obviously, it's, it's if we sort of put ourselves, those are those of us who are old enough to remember it, because let's let's remember now, it's getting to the point where we have listeners who, who don't, but for those of us who were, were around for it and, and, and affected in various ways by it, you know, at the time, it was the most terrifying thing imaginable. But now looking back, and, and to an extent, even at the time, you know, I remember flying around after 9-11, uh, getting incredible deals, traveling all over the place, and thinking the event was the most tragic thing imaginable. But I am completely safe getting on. I'm probably the safest I've ever been. You know, air travel had become safer because of all the new security measures. Uh, at least that's that's how it felt. This is a little different in the sense that coronavirus is real. I, I mean, this is this is a real thing that that that, that exists that's killing people. Uh, but it's just as you said, uh, there seems to be a disconnect between the risk maybe and the actions that people are taking. And what I've been telling people when they ask me is, look, if you're not leaving the home anyway, right? And, and there are people who have to worry if, you, if you're very elderly, if you have a compromised immune system and all that sort of stuff, right? If Or, or you're taking care of somebody who is and you don't want to get sick and all that. If you're just not going out, right? If you're not going to go to a theater or you're not going to go to a bar or, or wherever else, then sure, don't get on an airplane also, right? Because that's another space full of lots of people. But it's just if you're singling out travel versus all those other places versus going to Walmart and trying to buy up all the masks and do all these things everybody else is doing, and you're probably just as likely to get coronavirus being around all those people as if you just stayed home and, 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 and not bought the stuff that you don't need, right? Then then that's where it sort of crosses into something that, uh, that, that doesn't make a lot of sense. We are beginning, Ben, to see airlines around the world struggle and in some cases collapse. We saw the end of Flybe in the UK. That was actually a sizable airline, maybe one, you know, not a household name outside the region, uh, but, a, but a big-ish airline with a lot of airplanes. That was with a long history also. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Uh, you know, it was in trouble anyway, and now all eyes are on bigger airlines like Norwegian, which was growing wildly and losing money for years. It finally began to turn itself around, but let's see if it made enough progress to get through this. Now, Ben, the impact on employment on those airlines is obvious. Uh, so is the impact of Lufthansa slashing something like half its schedule. In the U.S., airlines entered this crisis in better shape. And so far, we hear about things like United canceling an incoming pilot class. Of course, you have to feel bad for all those people who thought they had the, their big job of their dreams in a big mainline airline, uh, and they don't for now. United also offering voluntary leave with benefits and partial pay. Well, we'll see lots of other moves like that. But at this point, Ben, we kind of have a whole new generation of U.S. airline employees who never experienced what it used to be like in this industry, where you were always kind of one bad quarter away from losing your job or at least having your pay and benefits slashed. Last decade was an unprecedented period of stability and growth for these airlines, including employment growth and improvements in pay and benefits. Now, look, there's still a chance that two months from now, the worst will be behind us uh, and this will just be an, an, an awful blip. 
financially, taking nothing away, obviously, from the human toll, the people who are dying from coronavirus. But is there a chance that we're going back to the bad old days where a lot of airline workers can't count on stable employment? Well, it certainly may be possible. Now, airline balance sheets, as you said, are much, much stronger than they've ever been. And so I'd be surprised if you're talking about massive layoffs or massive um, even temporary furloughs or things like that. But the industry is cutting capacity and each airline is pulling back in ways that they think is right, even here in the U.S. Nothing of the scope that we've seen Lufthansa do, for example, although we should say for our listeners who probably realize this, uh, a huge piece of what Lufthansa does is long haul international travel. Sure. And, and that is most of what's that's the bigger piece of what's affected, even though everything's affected. Right. In other words, Lufthansa, more than half of their business is long haul, whereas for all of the U.S. airlines, even the most global ones like Delta and United, Americans a little more domestic, folks, even Delta and United, more than half of their business is domestic, even though they're closer to 50-50. That's right. And, and, you know, South America isn't seeing the same effect as other areas. In fact, there hasn't right. been a lot of coronavirus talk related yet to South America. And that's a big piece of Americans' business, for example, and increasingly True. of Deltas, as we've talked about. Right. Yeah. And so it's really the transatlantic and transpacific that's seen the big drops. And so you see Lufthansa doing what they're doing. I don't expect any U.S. airline to do anything to that depth, but everybody's, you know, pulling back. And, uh, you know, I'm flying tomorrow and I'm eager to see, and I hope I'm not anxious, I'm eager to see, uh, <laughs> you know, what uh, what the airport looks like and, you know, how full or empty it is and how full or empty the airplanes that I'm taking tomorrow are going to be. Yeah. Well, you know, I was in the room in September 2017, so about two and a half years ago, when Doug Parker, the CEO then, as now, of American Airlines, said to a group of journalists and analysts that he thought U.S. airlines had so thoroughly restructured themselves that they would never again lose money on an annual basis. Uh, that's when things were going pretty well. But I, I remember some of us kind of looked at each other like, are you sure you want to make that kind of prediction about the airline business? <laughs> uh, Parker also said American would probably earn a $3 billion net profit even in a bad year. Well, last year, Americans' net profit, excluding special items, was already down below $2 billion. Yeah, there was the backgrounding in Americans' labor issues, but that was before all of this. Ben, how does his prediction look now? Well, it's obviously wrong in, in you know, a technical sense, right? You know, um, the three billion, well, <laughs> but, but, but about about airlines not losing, you know, like, uh, just where he said today, his prediction that, that U.S. airlines would never again lose money on an annual basis. We don't know the answer to that one yet. Right. As, as we said in March. Yeah, we don't. And it's March and it's hard to say. It would be really disappointing to know that this would be the first year in a, in a number of years where the whole industry might lose money. But it's certainly a possibility if, in fact, this extends that long. And in fact, if there's resistance to travel and if demand stays really weak and uh, the airlines can't react quickly enough or deeply enough for that, it's certainly possible, although I don't expect that it'll end up in a big loss. You know, American has this uh, silver bullet that most people don't think about, which is they've got the world's largest credit card program related to their frequent flyer program. And mm -hmm. one industry analyst has estimated that American makes about $3 billion a year from their frequent flyer card. 
And so if American makes only $2 billion in a year, that would suggest that the airline actually lost a billion dollars flying passengers. And then they got the $3 billion from their credit card to make the $2 billion. I don't know how accurate that $3 billion for the credit card estimate is, but it had a lot of data behind it. And I don't know whether that's more accurate today or or whether that number is bigger or smaller. But the fact is American also has more debt than any other airline. They had an enormous fleet of older airplanes that they replaced with all brand new airplanes. So they have more debt than either Delta or United. United has made um, you know more attempts to sort of rehub its system and do a lot of smart things under Scott Kirby. And American has been in the catch-up game for the last year or two now uh, to both Delta and United. So they enter this sort of downside, probably the weakest of the big four, if you think of American United Delta Southwest. Yeah, uh, right. And, and, and to be clear, you know, for context, American far better off than, than almost any airline was in the U.S., let's say a decade and a half ago. Better off still than most airlines around the world. I mean, the American, the, the, the lagger, the weakest of the major U.S. airlines. If you look at a ranking of, you know, profit margins around the world, still in like the top half, if not the top third of all airlines around the world, uh, but worse off than the other uh U.S. airlines. I, I want to talk briefly, Ben, about airfares. Look, when people ask me what's going to happen in the airline industry these next few months, I tell them, hey, you tell me what's going to happen with the virus outbreak itself, and I'll tell you the rest, right? And, and, of <laughs> course, and, and I don't mean to be flippant when I say it, but of course, that's the biggest variable of all, and we all have no idea what's coming next with coronavirus. But right now, it, it seems in parts of the world, like the U.S., Half the population is terrified and doesn't want to travel or maybe even leave the house, like I said before. And the other half can't believe all these amazing travel deals that are out there, right? I, I know I literally booked a trip for October the other day, which I normally wouldn't do nearly this soon. It's just normally not the cheapest this far out. But it, but it was like basically free, right? Um, <laughs> no, I, I was talking with, a, with I, was, I was texting with a friend of mine the other day who uh, we were, you know, we were laughing about. He said something like, wow, it's really uh, noble of us to, to to be supporting the the travel industry in this way, right? And I said, I said, yeah, to be willing to fly around the world for free, right? Just doing doing our part. But Ben, for people who are willing to travel and who are excited about these deals, and again, personal choice, right? We, I understand people make other choices, but am I correct to think maybe these fares are about the lowest we're going to see? Because right now we have this huge fall in demand before airlines cut most of the supply of seats that they might end up cutting. In other words, at some point, they'll bring down the supply enough to perhaps meet this much lower demand and fares could actually be back closer to where they were. Is that a proper read of this? I think it's I think it's close, but I think you're missing one other thing, Seth, which is at the exact same time that we've seen this big drop in demand for travel of people wanting to get on an airplane. You've had, you know, American, United and Delta, all three of them take wide body, big airplanes that they were flying to places that have lost most of their demand. And they're putting them back in the United States, yeah. flying big hub to hub routes, yeah. transcon routes into Las Vegas, Phoenix, places like that. So at the exact time we see this big demand, we see this unusually large increase 
Incapacity, which has sort of a double whammy on fares, fantastic for consumers, not great for the financials of the airlines, however. And so I think you're right. The fares are as good as they're going to be. And the question is, how long are they going to be this good? And it comes down to how quickly can the airlines react through capacity to pull down some of this? And is it a week? Is it a month? Is it half a year when customers again say it's okay to travel and I feel good about traveling. Yeah. And, and, and I guess part of the answer about can it go, you know, how, how much lower can it go? Well, some of these fares are so low that by definition, they can't go much lower, right? I saw, I was looking, you know, I've been looking for my immediate family and for other family members. I saw, you know, Fort Lauderdale to Baltimore, Washington on Spirit, $64 round trip. Right. So so by definition, that's not going to go more than sixty four dollars below below where it is now. And and I guess the other thing is kind of goes back to what we said at the beginning about the fuel prices. Right. It is important to remember that airlines at least can stomach somewhat somewhat lower fares now than they could before because because it costs less to carry people thanks to lower fuel prices. For most airlines around the world, fuel is the most expensive thing they buy in normal times. Maybe not now. There are probably some airlines once we get down to these levels that are spending more on salaries than they are on fuel, which they're glad to do. So that also means it takes a little of the pressure off in terms of trying to squeeze up the airfares by by pulling supply out. But you're right. I, I think you made a good point there. It's not just overall high-level supply. It's where is the supply. And even if airlines, let's say U.S. airlines cutting some point here 10 to 20 percent, like United has specified, others are going to make their cuts. It's not across the board. And, 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 and a lot of the capacity, in fact, is coming back to the uh, kinds of markets where people are going to be looking for good deals. Well, meanwhile, Ben, American Airlines flight 2300 from one hub to another, Chicago to Dallas-Fort Worth, made an unscheduled stop at another old American Airlines hub, St. Louis, after a man tried to open an emergency exit mid-flight. If you haven't guessed by now, this is the portion of the show we call Passengers Behaving Badly. A report said uh, the man was seated in the exit row. When other passengers saw him trying to open the exit, they wrestled him to the ground. The flight attendants got involved. They restrained him with flex tape and cuffs. Uh, That's when the plane diverted to St. Louis, where it stayed on the ground for about three hours before continuing to DFW with everybody aboard except the alleged bad guy. Needless to say, he was arrested and stayed back in St. Louis. Ben, Nice work by those passengers and flight attendants. Absolutely. They did a great job on that flight. And what a scary thing that must have been for those customers. That was yeah. a very badly behaving customer. You know, at the the same time I read this, I read about another instance on another airline where the customer like accidentally tried to open the, the door because he thought it was the bathroom. And at least <laughs> I remember that one. And, and, and that might be like, you know, the dumbest passenger rather than right. <laughs> the passenger behaving badly. But at least that person like had an excuse, right? Yeah. This uh, this is just crazy. And certainly if I were on a plane where I saw someone trying to do that, I would hope that I would, you know, have the guts to react the way some of these people did and get this guy constrained or, or um, get him off that. Because obviously that could have been a disastrous situation for those people they did a great job on that flight and you know it's one thing to knock on a person's seat to say don't recline it's another thing to you know clip your toenails on the plane which i've read (laughs) about that being done before change a diaper (laughs) next to people whatever (laughs) as disgusting as all those things may be and as terrible behaviors they may be at least those things you know didn't threaten to you know hurt the whole airplane and potentially put people's lives at risk very true. Well, now at cruise altitude here on Airlines Confidential, what are airline executives thinking? No, really, what, what are they thinking? 
and then a complaint during Fine or Wine. More Airlines Confidential is next. Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Seth Kaplan is sponsored in part by Boyd Group International's 25th Annual International Aviation Forecast Summit this August in Cincinnati. The only aviation forecast event. Register to attend at a reduced rate with a special promo code available only at airlinesconfidential.com. With Ben Baldanza, I'm Seth Kaplan. This is Airlines Confidential. Ben, first of all, I have a very important update. We've talked about the International Aviation Forecast Summit, uh, you know, Mike Boyd's conference, the, the, one of our favorites. We will be there. One other update, by the way. I hope they don't. I hope they don't kill me for saying this, but but I don't think the official the, the official agenda is published yet. But a little tease: you and I are going to be doing the podcast from there. Uh, th- that week and that's 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 gonna be a lot of fun so so that's one thing for for us to look forward to i don't know whether everybody else will look forward to it or not uh in late august in in uh cincinnati but another thing i said last time we talked about this that i had to check to see whether the reds were in town love watching baseball games in different cities i actually saw one reds game once uh i think 2006 uh they're they're in cincinnati great ballpark and yes it turns out the reds are hosting the cardinals monday tuesday and wednesday night that week and the conference is actually getting discounted tickets for attendees. So along with all the other reasons to attend the International Aviation Forecast Summit, uh, you get discounted tickets uh, to, to the Reds uh, playing their divisional rivals, the Cardinals. So that'll be a lot of fun. You want to hop on the airlinesconfidential.com website if you want more information. There's a banner for that. You can click through. Use the promo code AC. 1695 that's ac like airlines confidential 1695 ac1695 will get you a, a discounted rate it'll get you a rate down kind of like the 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 original deep discounted uh, early bird rate even though that deadline passed and and uh, so you'll you'll basically still get to pay something like the lowest rate that you ever could have paid so uh, you definitely want to check that out another thing ben during the break you were saying to me that well, you had a good analogy about the falling fuel prices. You told me a great story about an old movie that I haven't seen, but I, I said, you know, I love that. Let's tell that on the air. G- g- give me the Albert Brooks uh, reference. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah, the movie I was talking about is a 1985 film by Albert Brooks. It was called Lost in America. And the basic premise of that movie is he's a high-paid advertising executive who quits his job, and he and his wife, played by Julie Haggerty, decide to go discover themselves and discover America. And in like the first night or two of this discovery, she loses all their money in Las Vegas. And he, he learns this by getting a knock on his bedroom door very, very early in the morning with like someone from the hotel saying, you need to go down and see your wife. And she's like obsessed at the, at the roulette table. And the very first spin of the table that he sees, she actually wins a little bit of money and he gets very excited and says, are we up? And she says, no, we're down. And everyone around says, she's down like that. <laughs> and, it, and it was just so funny. She had lost all their money. And that's what I, the way I thought of that with the fuel prices for the airlines. It's such a weird analogy, but like, it's great that fuel prices are down. But demand is down so much that fuel can't offset that. And so I bet every airline CEO would be happy to have fuel prices go up again if demand would just come right back. (laughs) 
<laughs> exactly. The cheap fuel is a symptom of all kinds of awfulness everywhere. Julie Haggerty, of course, uh, airline fans know exactly who she is, if for no other reason, because of airplane the movie. Every fa- <laughs> every aviation geek's favorite movie ever. She uh, she stars in that. That that is my favorite of of all time. Well, fine or wine is next. But first, let's go to the mailbag. Matthew in New York writes. Hello, Ben and Seth. Love the show. The past week of market sell-offs has made a lot of airline stockholders fetch. <laughs> so we so we know. We know Matthew indeed listens to this show. While the steep drop has been a response to the coronavirus and not to any airline's specific negligence, airline management is going to need to weather the storm. To what extent, Matthew asks, uh, does airline management prioritize stockholder value during these market corrections and downsides? What unique concerns are going through the minds of top airline executives and how do they differ from other business sector responses? I am totally unqualified to answer that question, but luckily, my co-host is a uh, former airline executive, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a this is a very deep question, actually. And um, thank you, Matthew, for this, and thank you for listening to the show as well. You know, airline executives are like any business executive. Obviously, they've got a lot of different stakeholders they have to that they have to think about. They have to think about shareholders, of course, and especially public companies. That's probably the number one thing that most of them think about. But they have to think about their own employees. They have to think about their customers, of course, and uh, maybe some other stakeholders as well. When you hit a crisis situation like the airline industry is in right now as a result of falling demand, offset a bit by good fuel prices. Um, <laughs> the, um, We're still uh, down. That's right. <laughs> They, they have to think about the survivability of the business and maybe survivability sounds too strong right now because, you know, again, balance sheets are very strong, but basically the sustainability of the business and how much will this weaken our balance sheet and how much will it weaken our cash position and what will it limit us from doing going forward? Now, every airline CEO has seen their stock take a huge hit right now, right? The industry equities are off more than 50%. So that's huge. None of them like that. But at this point, the more the thing they're most concerned about is not the fact that their stock has dropped so much, but what can they do to both maintain the cash that they have, to be to keep their balance sheet as strong as they have they can in a very uncertain future demand environment, keep employment with as as high as they can without sort of having to furlough or lay off too many people, but do the things they need to do so that as this thing ends, and it will end, and it will come back. And if you know, if you look at SARS and you look at MERS and you look at H1N1 and even 9-11 demand. The industry has recovered from all of those things, and the difference has been how long it's taken for each one of them. So there's no question in my mind that the industry will fully recover from the coronavirus, both in terms of its equity prices and its demand basis, right? The question is, when will that happen? And so the airline CEOs are now thinking about what are the best decisions they can make for their company to emerge from that or when we're at the other side of this and when the industry is on an upswing again, 
in the recovery from this, how can their company be in the strongest position possible? And that means with their fleets, that means with their employees, that means with their shareholders, that means uh, with with the way they sort of manage their whole company. And I think that's what every airline CEO is thinking of. They're conscious of the fact that their stock is taking a big hit, but their shareholders, they think, and, and they're right, understand that this is a bigger issue than any one airline can be responsible for. So what most, I think, investors in the industry want their CEOs to do also is run the companies the best you can. You know, when you're flying an airplane, it's good to, this time I'll use a more appropriate analogy than an Albert Brooks movie, (laughs) right? When you're flying an airplane, when things start to go wrong, one of the things you learn, even as a young pilot, is the first order of business is fly the airplane, right? Don't, don't lose, don't lose sight of the fact Right. That aviate, you're flying the airplane and, and like, communicate in that order, but aviate first, right? If you right. can do aviate. nothing else, just keep the airplane flying straight. Yeah. That's exactly right. Fly the airplane first. And that's exactly the, the financial sort of position that the industry is in right now. And that's what every CEO in the industry is thinking about. Fly the airplane first. Keep the, keep the company good and solvent. Make the smart decisions for this because we know the industry's coming back. We know demand's coming back. And the question, and when that happens, we want to be in the strongest position possible. Great question, Matthew. Yeah. Do you have a question for us? You can call us at 305-379-7429 and record a question for us anytime during the week. That's a U.S. number for people calling from around the world. If you're using WhatsApp or something, it'd be country code one three zero five three seven nine seven four two nine. Uh, you can email us questions at airlinesconfidential.com. That's questions, plural, at airlinesconfidential.com, airlinesconfidential, all one word. Or you can jump on the airlinesconfidential.com website. You'll see a form on there. Uh, to submit your question. That's what uh, Matthew did. Well, beginning our initial descent on today's show, it's time for fine or whine. We listen to an actual customer complaint. We talk about whether the complaint is fine or or if the airline should be fined or if they're just (laughs) customers just whining. Ben, you have a complaint. Uh, Usually we go through complaints filed publicly, but in this case, a listener, uh, Zach from New York City, wrote in asking if he could make a complaint of his own and ask what we thought. I don't see why not. Ben, what does... Zach say. Yeah, and thank you, Zach, for sending this in. He wrote, it has to do with an itinerary I took in 2019, all on one ticket booked through American Airlines, but operated by Finnair on the outbound and British Airways on the return to JFK. So clearly code share, one world kind of ticket, right? All of it. Uh, Says American Airlines, but he never actually flies American. Finnair one way, British Airways the other way. Right. That's the code share world. The round trip itinerary was JFK in New York to Helsinki. Then sometime later, Helsinki to Stockholm and then to London and then to JF back to JFK. I purchased the main economy fare product that included choosing seats and check bags for $180 above the base fare. However, after purchasing, when I went to choose the seats, which in 2019 still cannot be done online, <laughs> I was only <laughs> able to do so on the Finnair operated flights. British Airways and American both played hot potato with the request and ultimately neither permitted me to choose my seat prior to check-in. In practice, that means that not only did American fail to provide me with a substantial portion of the $180 bundle that I paid, 
for, but both airlines' customer service responses range from unsympathetic to unknowledgeable, despite the fact that this must be a common issue they have to deal with. Finally, to be clear, this is not a legal argument. AA indeed does include a when available CYA clause in the fine print. CYA is a a legal term. (laughs) That's right. Though it's fair to assume that normal passengers don't realize this arrangement is the rule, not the exception. Okay, so Zach is saying, look, I'm not saying I could win in a, in a court of law, but that's not usually what we're talking about here, where we're talking about what's fair, what's right. What do you think, Ben? I, I, I mean, he paid $180. A big part of that is you could pick your seats in advance, and he didn't get to pick his seats in advance. This is a tough one, Seth, because I totally understand why he wasn't able to pick the seats. But I think if they actually sold him the $180 bundle, then they had more responsibility to make sure he could actually get what he paid for. So I'm going to side mostly with Zach on this. But I want to say that this is the case in these code share kind of deals. We had a we had another issue a few episodes back where somebody also sort of bought a ticket on one airline then was disappointed when the policies on the airline they were actually flying were different. And this is a similar kind of case. When airlines distinguish between the marketing carrier, which is the name on your ticket, and the operating carrier, which is the carrier that flies the airplane you're going to be on. In this case, his marketing carrier was American Airlines, but his operating carriers were Finnair and British Airways. And American can be partners with them, but American can't tell them what to do. So American can't make their website, let them book a seat, for example, or isn't going to go code their website for them to give them functionality they don't otherwise have. But if they collect the money from him, I believe they have some obligation to make sure they can get through with that. So maybe, for example, when he bought that ticket and was never on an American ticket, they should have said, well, there's this package, but note, you may not be able to book this seat before you check in. Even sort of a, you know, in your face kind of thing, rather than just a CYA in the, in the, the, in the tiny print, I think would have been reasonably, uh, would have been reasonable to accept. So I'm going to side with, with Zach on this one and say, as a customer, if he paid that money, he should have gotten better service than he got. That doesn't mean that I think he should have gotten the seat assignments everywhere if it couldn't happen, but they could have helped to make a better decision about whether to spend the $180. Right. And, and I, as a customer, would have liked American to offer to refund the $180 at, at that point. Honestly, I, I, you know, it, they, right, they can't force another airline to, to allow seat assignments. But if, if that was the selling point, then, you know, just, just, just make a friend. Uh, it, it, it's, it's not an unreasonable exception from, from my perspective. Well, uh, on final approach now, that does it for Airlines Confidential this week. Please fasten your seatbelts and ensure your seatbacks and tray tables are in their upright and locked positions. And remember, we'd love to hear your questions or your complaints at 305-379-7429. I'm talking about complaints about airlines, not just about life in general, all kinds of things (laughs) wrong with the world, right? That that, that there are other shows for. Or you can email us questions at airlinesconfidential.com or jump on the airlinesconfidential.com website. From the Airlines Confidential Studios, I'm Seth Kaplan. And I'm Ben Baldanza. We'll talk to you soon. This podcast is produced by Mass Media. Info at massmedia.net.